0: Hello oh, and welcome to the for Manager series, and thank you for joining us today. I am talking with Paul Jackson, the Chief Digital and Transformation Officer for a FTSE listed company. Paul, thanks very much for joining us. Oh, thank you, John. Very great to be here. Um, perhaps we could start uh, by me asking you to tell us a little bit about yourself, the company you work for, and explain perhaps just for me uh, what your role actually entails. Yeah, no, absolutely. So yes, I work uh, for a company called Speedy Hire, uh,
1: and we are one of the UK's largest plant and equipment um, hire companies, uh, hiring products into you know industries as diverse as some of the largest builders and construction companies in the country, right the way through to the retail side and you know, the likes of you and me who may hire uh, a ladder for the weekend. Um, and my role there is uh, chief digital and transformation officer, and. Yeah, what it really entails is, the way I kind of describe it, is how do companies use digital technology and data to improve their business outcomes? And and my role there really is to identify those opportunities um, and initiate the the programs or projects or teams in order to deliver what those different outcomes could be. Um, And and I think digital transformation is one of those terms that quite... quite often used it may not be you know, quite as well understood probably mean a lot of things And right? I so I tend to think about it in probably three broad areas um and like I say fundamentally it's about the use of technology and data but actually the three areas it can really affect are things like um firstly customer experience so how do, does an organization or a business show up to its customers and how can Digital play a role in that, and that could be through things like um, creating new websites or new apps. It could be through other areas as well. And how do you improve that customer experience, make it as slick and as seamless as possible? Um, the second one is around um, business operations. So how does a business operate more effectively? How does it take decisions better? How does it automate tasks? How does it essentially make itself much more efficient uh, at delivering those outcome to customers through the use of technology? Um and, and probably the final one is really around um I'll say almost new business models or new revenue streams, new products, is what role does digital technology have in creating those? It could be a, a new proposition, it could actually be a new a new product in its own right. Um but then how do you how do you create those and roll those out? So see that probably I don't know, that gives you a bit of a sense, John, of, of how I sort of
0: see my role and see the sort of outcomes I'm trying to strive towards. Thank you very much paul i mean technology projects that you're very much involved with don't enjoy the best of reputations do they i mean we we hear about failure on budget on time or on specification almost daily um, why is that and what has been your experience uh, that's a really good question um yes no i would
1: definitely agree There's there's certainly been a large number of fairly high profile um mainly as often they're actually in sort of some of the, the larger government type projects um now it's i guess the first thing i'd say there is some of these projects they are they are huge in scale you know um and therefore the complexity involved in those um shouldn't be underestimated you know and, and if you if you correlate that with some other industries other types of projects you often still see similar challenges you know, take uh crossrail as a classic example um you know, an exceptionally complicated project, large scale, but also, um, you know, took longer than expected, cost more than expected. So, you know, why is that? And I guess one of the things, I, mean, I certainly don't have all the answers to this one, but one of the reasons I would say is when you go into projects of this sort of scale, you don't know what you don't know. So, you know, you only know as much as you can ever know at the outset of one of these. And actually it's dealing with that uncertainty as you go along, which is one of the challenges you know, if you're building a new railway line, you don't know that you're going to come across old archeological problems, which may, uh, uh, artifacts, which may well cause you to delay by six months while people understand the relevance of them. You, know, you can't possibly know that at the outset. So there is an element of these where when people are planning them is that actually there's, there's just a large number of unknowns. So the challenge is how do you adapt? A plan, and to deal with those, how do you build an approach that actually acknowledges the fact that there are significant unknowns in these in these um, types of projects, and that's very true for technology projects. And the other one I would say as well is often in some of these high-profile projects, what they're doing is that they're, they're, they're replacing something that's already in existence, you know, either an old system or old manual processes. And that in itself is much more complicated than sort of a greenfield build. Um, Again, uh, using rail as an analogy, you you look at the London tube network, um, incredibly complex. Adding a new line under London is exceptionally difficult. Whereas if you were building a new city and a new tube, such as what you see in places like potentially China and Tokyo, actually you can do a lot more because you're essentially starting from scratch. So, uh, technology projects often suffer that because you're replacing a lot of complexity that's already there, uh, and that, that is inherently inherently difficult. Um, and the other the other booth, the final one I'll touch on is um, uh, these projects. Um, they're often measured by a, a very singular, almost deliverable at the end of it. You know, it's, we're going to spend three years, and right at the end, we're going to flick a switch and expect everything. To suddenly work and all the value is delivered at that point. And, and I would argue that actually the technology, which does have an advantage over some of the sort of more um, infrastructure based projects, the, the, the aim you should go for is actually to say, how do you deliver those values incrementally? You know, deliver a bit of the functionality after a few months and a bit more after a few months after that, rather than waiting until everything is there. Um, to turn something on and hope that it ultimately achieves the objectives. So that then you get to see real a you deliver value early, but also you get a sense to seeing what it is we're delivering. Is it really going to be achieving the ultimate objectives? That that approach can see a lot more success and that success early than than the sort of the alternative. But much more difficult to do if you're like say building a railway or a, an aircraft. You you can't uh, you can't only deliver of the aircraft and expect
0: to value. Right, so, but um, I mean, at the outset, how do you factor in the unknown unknowns into cost and timescale? That must be incredibly difficult. It, it absolutely is. I think what
1: you tend to see on these projects as well is a, is a level of optimism um, built into those plans, you know, for various psychological reasons in many cases, the, the sort of, there's a view that where you take the almost optimistic route, um, and actually, if you're planning a project which is multi-year, you know you'll you'll have a variance on the cost. You won't be able to tell you somebody for the pound how much that's going to cost. So actually, being honest about what the likely variance is, the window, you know, this might cost between five and seven million pounds, you know, don't know where it could be on the lowest end of that. It could be on the highest end. Similarly, you know, the ultimate time frame there's a variance on that. And as you progress through, you can refine that estimate and become, become narrower. Whereas I think the sort of human psychology has a tendency to always err on the side of the positive news. So it's cheaper than the, on the cheaper end and on the quicker end than, than actually the level of accuracy you've got in any of those estimations.
0: Well, I imagine that there is a temptation when preparing the business case um, to maximise the benefits whilst, at the same time, trying to keep the costs as low as possible in order to get sign-off. Is that a real danger? It, it, it actually is. I mean, you need to be, you know, you need to be aware
1: of what the sort of range is here and what the sort of probable outcomes are going to be. Um, and if your business case doesn't hold should your costs be 10 or 20% higher than what your sort of mid range estimate is and um, you probably have to question that business case and re-look at it um, because you, you can't be certain you're gonna, you're gonna hit that. Um, so therefore actually the business case is that fine. You know, I'd, I'd really a look at it. Uh, there's probably value elsewhere. You could, uh, you could build into it, but um, yeah, that, that tendency to the lowest cost estimate and the highest benefit estimate and then assume those will be the
0: cases um uh, are quite dangerous well very interesting I mean can you give us a flavor of how your particular project is going at the moment how far into it are you and and how are you doing uh, in terms of what the original business case stated
1: yeah we are actually very early on in this um the transformation program we're driving at the speedy services we're you know, in, in the sort of first uh, six months of that program. So what the stage we are at is really ensuring, really forming the vision of what we're trying to achieve. We're we're diving into the detail of what all the various components are we need. So um, we're almost not at the stage actually yet where um, some of the big deliverables, the big outcomes are materializing. We are starting to see some of those coming through. But, um, yeah, some of the changes we're putting in are really exciting uh, and can definitely see... Now, We've got an opportunity to do something new within the sort of construction industry in, in how you use technology, in following an industry which is, um, you know, not got that much experience of some of the more sort of
0: sophisticated ends of, of use of data, use of technology. In your role, I guess, um, you meet technology companies, software companies uh, quite regularly. I guess you get to peek behind the curtains if you like of, of what's coming down can you give us a flavor of what might be possible over the next few years
1: yeah no absolutely we've got some great partners we
0: work with actually uh, and they
1: you're right they do um for very, very commercial reasons often talk to you about some of the things they're working on some of the interesting areas and i'd say by quite a way the big topic at the moment is ai um and what are the implications for businesses which AI is already bringing and can bring in the future. Um, And you know, it's because it's um, such a transformational capability in its own right. Yeah. I think a lot of these tech organizations are really capitalizing on it because that's where they see the growth being in the future and hence that's what they're talking to us about. Um, And I think unlike um, some of the sort of recent um, technical advances, which arguably the spin is greater than the reality. And there's an example of that. I could talk about the metaverse, um, and Facebook's, um, foray into the metaverse, which I think is really hard to see for businesses, where the real value will come from. And I think that's what Facebook are finding. I think unlike those AI, I think is going to be revolutionary to the way that organizations operate. Um, and it can be in many, many different ways. And a lot of these are very very hard to predict at the moment, but some, some simple, I'll say simple to understand ways are there's a product that Microsoft are, have now launched actually called Copilot, um, and that's one of the, one of the uses of that is, um, it's a, a piece of software which will essentially sit and monitor if you it to, um, your meetings that you have on, on teams virtually and you look at your emails. And it will essentially help um you as a co-pilot, it's very aptly named, um understand what's going on in your in your meetings more effectively. So, for example, you could ask it to summarize the main actions out of an hour meeting um and the main decisions that were taken. Um, which you know is often one of those one of those bits that gets lost. The most vital part gets lost. You could ask it to create a a powerpoint slide for you um and it will use ai in order to do that so copilot is is very aptly named but i can see that productivity improvement that everyday people within businesses can have through the use of that could be dramatic absolutely dramatic um and you know that's just one small use case um you can you can imagine it doing. And so yes yeah, so i do think uh, AI is is really going to, you know, we're going to look back in five years' time and the way organisations operate is going to be transformed
0: as a result of AI. Our series, The Artful Manager, we're basically talking about leadership and management, Paul. And, and it occurs to me that the management of the technology team I I don't know, I don't understand how people can cope with managing the function without having quite a high degree of expertise in themselves. I mean, how does a non-technology senior executive uh, best manage the function, or are we going to see more CEOs being technology experts?
1: Yeah, you're you're right there. I mean, I think what we're seeing, and it's... Maybe obvious to say, but we're seeing technologies playing such an increasing role in industries uh, of all types. Um, you know, not just the tech companies. Uh, clearly, in a, a tech company, a Microsoft or a Google, you know, you are going to see the the CEOs and the senior leadership being exceptionally um, literate in technology, if not technologists themselves. in um, But what you're going to see, and you are seeing, is actually those leaders of organizations uh, more broader than just the tech companies where that is going to become, um, an increasing, um, part of their, their skill set that they have to have. Um, so, so I do believe that is going to become an increasing part because you you can't, technology is not, um, at the anymore, which just sits in isolation to the business. In many ways, it is the business. It is the way that business operates. And so therefore, if you're not literate in the way that business operates it will be hard to make those decisions. But that's not to say a leader has to be able to write code or to, you know, to really get into the detail of this. Um, and and there will always be a variance of, of, of skill there. So the, the key there is for leaders to surround themselves with the people who can fill in those gaps, you know, those people who do have that required expertise uh, and knowledge, um, where they can, they can bridge that gap. Um, but but overall, I, I definitely do see that to been a, an increasing, um, uh, an increasingly important skill set. And I think whereas historically you've seen, you know, CFOs and maybe chief commercial officers and operating officers becoming CEOs. I think there will be an increasing number of chief digital officers becoming CEO CEOs, um, or even CIOs becoming CEOs, um, uh, depending on the subject to the
0: organisation and the industry they're you in. Know, well, I mean, it occurs to me as you're talking that if if we have a manager at any level uh, tuning in and listening uh, to us at the moment, Paul, that the function of technology and its applications are become increasingly more important and more critical to a company's success. I mean, if somebody doesn't have these skills at the moment, how would he go about acquiring them? Are there are there courses and schools that um are available to bring a non-technology person kind of up to speed so that we can talk the same language
1: uh, i mean there are yeah there are courses uh, awesome and things you can do however i think the approach i would always um advocate is going with people's interest and in, um you know reading the various news sources that are out there staying up to date with what's going on through um through what's going on in the media there are lot of um you know, news feeds websites uh where where you actually can get a really good flavor of some of these technologies and and, and actually you know, it's where things spark your interest and you dive deeper that's going to be the most powerful powerful learning uh capability the other the other area is to for people who are in organizations is to use the people around them again um what they the people in the technology teams, they'll be the ones who want to talk to you about what's going on, what the latest advances are. So don't be afraid of just um, almost being humble with your current level of knowledge and, and reaching out and asking questions of those people who are surrounded by it on a more day-to-day basis, have the conversations and and see where they where they end up, uh, both for yourself in terms of where your interest lies, but also in terms of the business outcomes and changes it can, it can drive. Um, but yeah, surround yourself by it. Uh, you can always consume technology; its own writers it can be a, a new source in itself. It's, um, yeah, it's because uh, it, there's so much going
0: on. Well, it strikes me that uh, it's going to be a brave manager that goes on the knock knock on the door of the CTO or something and says, "I need a bit of help to understand your world." I mean, is that something the technology team would welcome? Somebody coming in to ask certain questions. Oh, absolutely! My
1: experience is definitely uh, the the the, the behaviour is actually that are harder to deal with. Is the, the lack of that uh, curiosity, um, but actually the tech the tech teams will be, will be doors will be open, arms will be wide, um, and they will love to engage in those conversations because they will have a lot of ideas um, based on what they're seeing in the market. And therefore, this is a great way of just breaking down the silos, the, the sort of functional silos that exist in businesses and and creating those sort of cross-department, cross-function relationships.
0: Okay, cool. Thank you very much for giving us uh, some insights into the technology world in which uh, uh, you're operating. But may I turn now to the question of, of leadership and management specifically, which is what the Artful Manager Series is all about, and perhaps ask you to think back maybe over your career and think back of some of the managers that you worked for and with. Um, I guess you could possibly think of the best manager that you've ever worked for and possibly the worst as well. Um, What sort of attitudes and behaviors did they display to you that either sort of discouraged your motivation and and efforts? and, And what... Um, attitudes and behaviours made you inspired, made you want to work I mean, can you just explain some of the differences that you noticed in people that you work for in terms of their management skills
1: Yeah, no absolutely, it's a really interesting question, is, you're right when you look back, and I look back over my career a number of managers and yes, what I would say is I, I see a direct linkage between um, how much I enjoyed a role and therefore how much success I have. with really, you know, how I'll say um, how good a manager um, they were, ha- how uh, effective I think that person was as a manager for me as an individual. So those times when I struggled um, more enrolled is times where I, I would argue that, you know, the management styles around me were were more constraining versus the opposite, where I've really enjoyed been successful in roles. It's been with some of the best managers that I've, that I've worked with. So I think those two things are explicitly linked um, in my mind. But when I think about what are they, I think, the, the characteristics, what is it that I felt when I was working in a for some of the best managers, and I'm, I'm thinking of a couple here, um, it's almost a, a list of, of of attributes, really. And the first one was I they gave me the freedom to do to drive the outcomes I needed to drive, yeah, um, you know, I had a broad. They gave me a broad scope, broad objective, but within that, I had the the day to day freedom to achieve those in the way that I felt right. So I wasn't, um, you know, every step of the journey was not micromanaged. It wasn't dictated. It was let's align on those broad outcomes, that that broad scope, and you you drive towards it, and that that really helped me. The other thing they would do is they would support me on those objectives on delivering me. They would they wouldn't tell me what to do. What they would do is unblock the the, the if you like the challenges or the blockers in the way. They would remove issues. they would be a bit of a cheerleader from the side, um, and for the work that I was doing. Um so it almost allows you it sort of supercharges your your way through um some of some of the challenges you've got. Um the other another one they would do is they show a real deep interest um, in what I was actually working on. You know, they would constructively challenge it, um, would have some good almost peer-to-peer-level discussions around some of the detail. Uh, but that's not in a way where they'd be telling you you were wrong or well, and you should do it this way. It's actually is a real collaborative way of working through a problem, almost like say, I like say on peer-to-peer. Uh, so that level of interest that yeah, they were excited interested in we doing. Um, and then the final one was, um, they would equip me with the tools, the environment, the resources that I needed in order to achieve, you know, be that funding, be it, uh, people, um, uh, be it approval for, you know, spending money on contracts. Um, they would create that environment, um, and give you the resources to allow you to, to be successful, um, I, think, I know that's how that directly answers your question, but I'd say those are the, like, the characteristics of, of what they would do for me and how it made me feel um, as, I, as I went through that.
0: Thank you. I mean, I think when we were speaking, setting up this talk, you told me that you had a team of, of 80 people. How, how involved can you get in, in each of those people and to really deliver a sense of what you were talking about then, delivering to them? what you felt really benefited you? Hmm.
1: Yeah, I mean, the one thing I, I would say here is, um, you know, yes, it sounds like 80 people, so I mean, a lot of people, but but actually everyone's a sort of individuals. And so for me, part of what I try and do is actually get to know people, and be yourself with people, connect with them, understand them, um, you know, the partner name on children, what their hobbies are. Just as part of, like you would with anybody that you would meet. Um, and I think in doing that allows you to um, create those relationships within your team outside of any hierarchy that may exist, which just really promotes the free flow of information. Um, and that can be two ways. That's very much in terms of the, the excitement and inspiration with of the programs we're trying to do, but also understanding where some of the challenges are so that, therefore, I can help them block those. You know, and, and having that one-to-one type relationship, that sort of non hierarchical relationship allows people to open up. It allows them to talk about what's, what's getting in their way. And, and the best thing I could do for someone is to remove the barriers that they are ex- experiencing on a day-to-day basis in achieving their objectives. And if, you know, I can do that for some other team, um, the team itself will see if, you know, assuming that everyone's pulling in the same direction, heading for the same overall outcome we as a function will be more successful as well so i think a lot of this comes down to that sort of communication that breaking down those sort of hierarchical barriers um and just being an individual being people with each other
0: well very good advice thank you 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 were in the middle of a very successful career Paul. i know and um i'm just wondering as perhaps the final question if you if you look back over your career right from the beginning of how you got onto the management ladder kind of thing. Is there any advice that you'd like to pass on to our listeners? I mean, what have you learned during the during your career so far about how effective you can be as a manager?
1: Yeah, I mean, these are these may be arguably thoughts on this one maybe slightly broader than just being as effective as a manager. But, um, you know, one of the things that uh, I often talk to people about and people come to talk to me about is, you know, when they're faced with maybe career decisions, um, on which way they go, you know, I've got this opportunity here. Thinking of X, Y, is Z, Z to do? And you know, my my advice there, which and to some extent I followed, but probably intuitively rather than um actually consciously, was really <clears throat> to take decisions in those scenarios based upon not what you think you should do or what you think you need to do to get to a different position but actually take those decisions on what interests you the most where does your energy lie um what's going to get you out of bed in the morning because my experience is that if you're doing roles um which you get really excited by that you're almost disappointed when the day comes to an end because you're you know you're so engaged in what you're doing you will naturally be be more successful in those roles and you will therefore succeed more and it will open more doors for you than the alternative which is moving to a role which may or paper look like it's moving in the right direction but fundamentally doesn't really tick, tick all your boxes um and that can be slightly counter in to to sort of more traditional routes in some some ways but i would really encourage people to go with where your energy and your passion lies um, as opposed to what the sort of you know the, the the typical route through is, or I need to take get this position in order to enable me to do wide position and Z position. Um, and that, again, that might be slightly counter to some some modes of advice, but it certainly worked um, for myself. Um, the other the other aspect I'd say is um, you your as you move into management abilities, your um or capabilities and roles, your your success is really based upon your the team's output not your own output um and therefore what that success is directly related to is how good the people are um that you're working with you have you got the right people in the right roles in that team? and and i would just say where you it's easy to procrastinate on those type of decisions and that could be a new hire you know you're maybe not quite sure on you've got a gut feel but you're not quite sure on what to go what to do, but I would really, you know, be proactive on those. You know, think about the opportunity cost of not filling those roles with those right people sooner rather than later. You know, what how much progress could you have made if you had that right person in that right role? Um and, and versus actually not. So so think of the opportunity cost there. Um and make those decisions quick quicker. Um, because you will your team will be more successful. Um and then finally, as a leader that well, I mean, it relates to something I uh, thought about earlier, but um, I would say the big piece of advice I've got is be yourself. Um, there is no real sort of blueprint to how, you know, a manager themselves should behave. There is not a rule set um, in the way that you talk to people, how you behave or you use specific language or dress. Um, so I, I would really say be authentic um, with your team. and uh, Be real with them. You know, talk about what you do at the weekend and what your hobbies are, and find out a bit about them, just like you would any any human-human interaction. Um, move away from just purely the transactional elements. Uh, uh, oh, have you done X? Have you done Y? To 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 understanding them as a pe- as a person, and and I think you get a lot more back um, that way, and, and
0: it's a a hell of a lot more fun as well. Well, Jackson, thank you very much indeed.